Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ. And I also want to thank my listeners from around the world. Never, ever give up hope is now heard in over 70 different countries. And our listening audience is growing every single day. What that indicates to me is that this message of hope is what people are looking for. People are have problems. It doesn't matter who we are. There are some points in our lives where we have problems. We are human and we are not immune to problems. And there are times in our life when we need the message of hope. And what this show does is because it's so, there's such a variety of guests with different problems, different issues. It has something that each of us can relate to. And I am so pleased with that. I have had so many guests who have not only touched my life, but certainly have touched the lives of people all over the globe. And I thank you for listening. I thank you for your input. I thank you for your emails, for your comments. Keep them coming. It's what makes the show successful. The other thing I want to bring to your attention is if you have a story, please contact me and I would love to hear your story and see if it would be a fit for our show. Ever since I started asking about this the last um, month or so, requests have been pouring in as to I have a story that I think your listeners would would appreciate because we all have a story and we've all had problems and we need to share them when we've come to the other side and we've been able to overcome those circumstances in our lives. So thank you for that as well. With me today is Joyce Ross. Joyce is an author, an editor, and a keynote speaker. She is co-founder of Kindness is Key Training and Publishing, Inc., the home of Heart, Mind, Wisdom, Inspirational Anthology Collection, which I'm sure that she will talk about later on in her interview today. Joyce is a, you ready for this, recovering gambling addict. Now, I don't think I've had anyone on this show with that problem before. And when I heard about her and how she overcame this, I was excited and thrilled to hear her story and to read her books on how she overcame this problem, which is often a problem in secret. Her story is compelling and it's also revealing and she offers helps to those who may have a similar problem or if we know someone who has a problem and she will give us the stats today as well to show us that this is a, probably a much bigger problem than we realize. During her addiction she lost over $300,000. 
she lost her home, and even worse, she lost her self-respect. So I am looking forward to sharing and speaking with Joy today. Welcome, Joy. Wow, thanks for having me on, Carol. I'm really glad to be here. Good. Now, first thing, let's talk about way back in your childhood. Do you think that there is a certain type of personality that would be conducive to gambling? Were you a risk taker as a child? Yes, there's definitely a correlation with the type of people who um, end up becoming gambling addicts. And it's one of um, dopamine. That's the, you know, the feel good uh, chemical. So some of us actually, I mean, all the research is ongoing on gambling addiction because they're, you know, they're just recognizing Mm -hmm. that it's an actual, you know, health issue, a mental issue that there's a problem going on. So those of us with higher levels of dopamine um, tend to be more at risk. And I'm a super happy person. So I'm not surprised that, you know, I would, I've never been tested for my dopamine level, but I'm sure it's pretty high. So Interesting. And did you realize that as a child, that you were maybe taking more risks than other kids were? Well, you know, I was, it's been something I've noticed throughout my whole life. And I guess one of the biggest things about being a happy person, which, you know, having extra dopamine Mm -hmm. gives you like more energy and all kinds of things, is that I've never been afraid to fail. I always assumed I would get back on my feet if anything went wrong. And wow. it makes me kind of odd in business because people will say, well, you know, what if it doesn't work out? And I'll go, I'll do something different. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's where it mostly played in. I was never a big risk taker in terms of like, um, you know, wanting to jump out of an airplane or race a car mm-hmm. around a track. Mm-hmm. But I've always been a risk taker in terms of, you know, going into relationships with um, people maybe that I shouldn't have, Um, just living in the moment, like really living for today. And those would be probably the biggest indicators. And then something else from childhood that I think really affected my gambling addiction was um, my love of interacting with people. So even though gambling is kind of a solitary um, adventure, there's lots of people at, you know, the blackjack table and life family always played cards you know Mm. we were a big family that played cards so to sit at the blackjack table and you know try to recall um what i knew from the odds of you know cards in uh, from playing bridge from as young as you know seven and eight years old believe it or not um i think you know they all kind of played in so and i and i love fun and i love people so you know i was you know when we didn't have casinos in our area carol it wasn't a problem because I'd have okay. to actually go to Vegas, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the addiction really caught me by surprise, but we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about people who gamble as far as what the stats are. Do you have the stats as to the percentages and of what people who are addicted to gambling? Yes. And it depends on the country. But in North America, um, the experts say 1% of all gamblers are pathological. So really? these are the, you know, the yeah the hardcore addicts like me. So I would fall in there. I could not stop myself. There's a further 2% that are viewed as being problem gamblers. Now, if you go to the University of Alberta, where they're doing a lot of research and other institutions that are seriously looking at gambling, instead of taking the statistics from those that profit from gambling, it's actually much, much higher. But we know we can be guaranteed because this is coming right from, you know, the the uh, Canadian agencies uh-huh, uh-huh. or governments that are doing the gambling. So 1% of um, all gamblers are pathological, 2% are problem gamblers. But the really thing 
that's interesting is that each of those gamblers is further affecting five to 10 people, their children, their spouses, their employers, the people who lend them money mm. and institutions. So it's a, it's a huge problem. Most of them, like, I think it's five or, or 15 to 20% ever seek help. So instead, really? you know, think other tragedies are, yeah, it's a huge social problem. And it's really shame based. You know, it's, like those of us who maybe have a drinking problem or eating problem, there's a lot of shame mm-hmm. associated with gambling, right? So you keep it secret. So how could you possibly admit that you have a problem early on when there's so much shame around it? Mm, very does good that point. Make sense? Yes, yes it yeah. does. Yeah, you get pretty desperate before you do anything about it. So tell us what happened. Tell us your story. When did it start? How did it grab a hold of you? Like you mentioned that your family plays cards a lot, but it had to be it had to be more than that. Did you have a big win and all of a sudden, you know, got addicted? Like what was the process? I think no matter what, Carol, I would have become addicted because I love the people, right? But in the statistics and what did happen to me was a girlfriend I used to just gamble and I would take $200 and I would play $5 on the tables and you know minimum Mm -hmm. amount on the slots and $200 a week wasn't breaking the bank for me however a girlfriend talked me into playing the dollar machine uh-huh and I put my first hundred dollar bill in you know one two three spins later I had bells ringing and a thousand dollars in cash now that was huge oh, for me yes in terms of winning right mm-hmm. that was a big win and one of the things that this dopamine problem sets up is that we want to get it back so when you experience that high okay. of the thousand dollar win somewhere in your subconscious mind like in your deep primitive mind you actually it gets set up that you've you crave it. You have to have it. And wow. and that's one of the problems with addiction for to gambling is that you don't shake, right? Yes, You're not yes, staggering point, about, right, right. right? So so people can't actually see that you're actually physically addicted and neither can you. All you know is that when you enter a casino, you feel excited and like you're on a high. And the only way I can really explain the difference between a normal person, you know, who's not addicted, walking into a casino and when I walked into a casino is that it's, I felt the euphoric high like person does when they're first in love. Hmm. So, you know, that kind of... Um, the euphoric period, I call it the mm-hmm. romantic period of a new relationship. And I felt like that. And it would be similar to like a new job or something else, something that brings you great joy. So every time I walked in the casino, I was having this extreme feelings of joy. When I left, it was the exact opposite. It was dread and smacking myself in the, in the head. And, you know, I promised God I wouldn't gamble. I promised, um, you know, when I finally came right, out, I right. promised friends I wouldn't gamble. I promised myself I wouldn't gamble. And, you know, I would, you know, leave the casino at, at daylight, totally broke. Every penny I could get my hands on, gone. And go home, sick to my stomach, fall asleep from exhaustion, wake up in a, in a state of um total desperation and fear as if I was going to be bombed from the sky. Mm. It was just horrible. Grab my gut and then try to figure how am I going to get myself out of this mess? How am I going to play my mortgage? How am I going to, mm. you know, pay this and pay that? And, you know, interfering with running my business, interfering with um, keeping a roof over my head. Now, I was fortunate, or maybe not, in that I didn't have a spouse and I didn't have children. So the primary person I was hurting financially was myself. However, 
if you're a married person, that's extending to everybody mm. in your family. Mm-hmm. So what concerns me most, and the reason I speak out about gambling addiction, what concerns me most is the children that get neglected. The oh, mother who's yes. gambling and doesn't buy bread and milk. You know, she's going to, to right. try, find somewhere to feel, feed her children that's maybe not as nutritious as she would as if she wasn't gambling. The bankruptcies, the divorce, the depression, the pets left in the car while you're gambling, and suicide. And they're just now starting to keep a closer track on how many suicides are gambling related. But again, because of the shame, when a family member commits suicide because of gambling debts, the family keeps it quiet. Do you find or do you have any stats regarding people who are doing online gambling? Like, is this becoming more popular now, especially when you mentioned housewives, I thought of that. Housewives and seniors. Like, it's also, gambling is a huge problem with seniors because, one, when you go to a casino, people um, treat you like you're their long-lost friend, and a lot of seniors are lonely and by themselves. And online, um, provided they can figure out how to work the sites, because there is Mm -hmm. the advantage there of, you know, protecting them and that not every senior can work a computer. But any that are home or disabled people, it's a natural attraction if, you know, if they play once and they have a Mm -hmm. win, they're going to be like me. So, I don't actually have the statistics on that, but... um, you know how you can tell a lot of people are gambling online, Carol? How? Our government's into it now. It's all about profit, right? So now mm-hmm. our, even our governments are online in Canada. So um, they wouldn't do that. If I mean, they're saying we want to bring the money back home, which is nice. But mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people gambling online. It was never my problem. You know, back to the social interaction, it's really hard to have a good relationship with a computer. So for me, it wasn't, you know, huge, but um, mine was more in person. But yes, I'm sure that it's, um, you know, probably equal, if not higher. And then the other thing about gambling online that people forget is it's so easy to keep that secret, right? If you have your own. Yes, yes. Right. And what about lotteries? Uh, Buying lottery tickets? Yes. Yeah, there's a huge problem with video terminals in Quebec, like there's lots of law cases that have um, been going forward with trying to do something about that because obviously you can walk in anywhere and find a video terminal and start gambling. We don't have that so much here in BC. Mm. So, um, but again, you know, you anything that you look at that has anything to do with um, gambling, whether it be scratch and win tickets or online mm-hmm. gambling or the video slot machines, the stats are going to be the same. Okay. And is there a point where most gamblers, when they begin to have a problem, will no longer gamble with people, but they gamble alone? In your case, did you do that or were you always go to the casinos by yourself? Well, you make friends at the casino, so you're never by yourself. Okay. And um, at one point, I had was so filled with um, self-loathing and that's I mean just day and night filled with self-loathing that the only people that felt like um, were in my my kind of social circle at the time were other people who were throwing away their money so I would go to the casino and have this camaraderie shit with people who were losing you know I don't want to call them losers because they're not losers they were losing their money not they're not losers mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, but they were mm-hmm. losing their money so I didn't feel normal talking to my friends who were um you know, earning a living and didn't gambling and, and didn't understand it. And there was actually a point, this is this seems so bizarre now, but there was actually a point when I couldn't comprehend why everyone didn't want to gamble every second of the day. Hmm. 
if I had no interest in going to dinner, no interest in spending time with family. And I'm a family person. Wow. Like I'm very close to my siblings and my and my parents. So um I didn't want to go to a movie. I didn't want to travel unless it was involving gambling. Sure, I would get on a cruise ship because I could gamble. Right. So it was just everything was gambling, 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 and that was my entire focus. So you know, even when I would go to a casino, drain all my finances, the second I had money or the second I got home and, you know, got my finances in terms of my mortgage taken care of, I'd start planning how can I get my next um, cash to take back to the casino. So I would have like 24 hours of, oh, my God, I can't stand this again and back to making all the promises. And then the urge to go would kick in and it would start in your stomach, you know, the come with the thought and wow. head, maybe I could go back. And then it just blossoms into you're going through the door and all the way to the casino, I would say, no, if I don't go in, I won't be gambling. Mm-hmm. If I don't go in mm-hmm. and I would go in, euphoria sits in, you sit down at the, at the machines or the table and, you know, your life is in someone else's hands because you're not in control. And how was your family responding? Were they aware? And when they became aware, what did they do? Well, I actually had to tell people that I was addicted. There was, you know, a point where my mom had said, and this is an interesting point too, because there was a point, but she never told me why. When my mom said to me, um, you better be careful or you'll lose your house, because she knew I really enjoyed gambling, right? And it wasn't until last year when I was visiting relatives that I found out that my, um, her her father, like my grandfather, who I never knew, um, was a gambling addict. Really? Yeah, I wish I had known. But, you know, my mom never badmouths anyone. She's just one of those Mm -hmm. really special people. So she (laughs) would not tell us, right? So it might have been helpful if she had, but she hadn't because that would have been at least had some kind of a warning that this is in our, you know, DNA or whatever. Right, right. But, um, and when I told my dad, who loved to gamble and, um, but was more controlled than I am, Mm -hmm. or I was, and he uh, said, no, you're not. You're not a gambling addict. You just enjoy it. I said, no, dad, I'm a gambling addict. I have to own this, right? Or I'm not going to be able to take control of it. And then what I did was I solicited help of friends who didn't, until I told them, had no idea, you know, what I'd done with my financial situation. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I'm a good hider. You know, you can smile your face with anything. And, um... And I actually asked them, you know, if I'm if I'm out of the house and you don't know where I am, I want you to grill me. And if I'm missing for like two hours, I'm gambling. It's just the way it is. So I can't always stop myself. So I want you to, you know, send me a text, phone me, tell me to come home and just, you know, dog me. And because I asked them to do that, I was more able to stop myself from going because I was going to have to explain it to people I loved respected and knew were going to, you know, ask me about it. So that was one of the things that helped. Not totally. I was, you know, still sneaky, but did it didn't they, really calm did, down. I was just going to say, so did they stop you? Yes. Yes. They, oh, they would did. keep an okay. eye on me. Oh, yeah. Okay. That one lady even followed me to the casino to find me. <laughs> so, yeah. No, people were great. They were, nobody. The thing about shame is that you're filled with shame, but it isn't necessarily an actual, accurate reflection of what other people are thinking about you. So when we're feeling shameful and we want to hide and keep it in secret, we think everyone's going to judge us and just think, oh, what a loser, what an idiot, blah, blah, Mm. blah. But that's not really what they're thinking. When you solicit the help of the people that care about you, what they're really thinking is, how can I help? Uh I love this person. Uh I don't want them to suffer. So that's like one of the first things is realizing that there are people in your own circle, that if you just sit down and have an honest heart to heart and say, this gambling has become a problem for me or it's becoming a problem for me, can you help me? 
and listen to, you know, what I'm going through and what I'm feeling and, you know, maybe these action steps, like I had people guard my time, mm-hmm. um, my absences. So, um, yeah, it, how, it's different. How many years were you involved? Like, what? how long did it take before it really became a problem? Like, or was it instantly a problem? And then how long after you realized it was a problem did it take you to uh, get out of it? It's quite the journey. So I didn't realize it was a problem until 2007. And it started when? It, um, it actually didn't become a problem until um, 2004, 2005. It was okay. becoming a problem. And what happened was two competing casinos opened up in my neighborhood. And uh, they were kind of letting everybody win on the slot machines, right? Mm. So there wasn't a night for a long time, maybe months, that I didn't, you know, at some point – I was up $500 and it was happening with all of us dollar, you know, slogan people or dollar okay. um, slot people. And then all of a sudden they turned the machines back down. Right. So, um, <laughs> but the really weird thing is that we couldn't believe that they weren't paying. Like it was months before it, it, it clued in. Something's changed here because wow. I'm still thinking I need this high. You know, I need this. Yes, win. I got to yes. get it. Got to get it. You know, so it started about then and gradually got worse, but it wasn't horrible until I, you know, was running out of money. So for me, the big thing was, you know, the bank account. There was like, and, you know, credit card debts and that right. kind of things. But it was 2007 when I signed out by the uh, provincial government's voluntary self-exclusion program, which I thought was my safety net. I 100% thought this was the end of my gambling, you know, locally. I knew I could still go to the States, but I thought that's it for locally, which was, you know, my biggest problem. But the problem was, Carol, that they didn't stop me from going into the casino. In fact, within a few months, I was back in the very casino where I'd signed my piece of paper and had my picture taken, got walked out the back door like I was a criminal, and uh, went back in the door. And uh, the dealers were, you know, waving at me and saying, hey, Joy, come play at our table. It's, yeah, it's not the dealers. Like, I want to make that really clear. This yes. is not something that, that the people in the actual um, casinos are perpetuating mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they don't know. The dealers and yes. the floor staff don't know who's in the voluntary self-exclusion program, which I think is a major error. And when I confronted the government about that, their answer was because um, it's a privacy issue. Well, mm-hmm. if I'm willing to let the uh, the dealers know that I have this big problem, then I guess it would be up to me to decide whether or not it's a privacy issue, not the casino. But we're having that debate still. And um, yeah, so the voluntary self-exclusion program so failed me. I was back gambling like a crazy person. In 2000 and just before the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, I can't remember the exact date. But what happened for me was, you know, I've got all these things in place with my friends watching me and stuff. And I snuck out to a casino and I was playing like crazy. And it was late at night, early in the morning, I guess would be more accurate. And I just turned it up to God. And I said, "Um, what is it that I really need? That was the voice in my head. And I thought I was going to hear you need a kick in the pants Mm -hmm. or to win the lottery, right? To recover (laughs) my finances. And that's not what I heard. And at the same time, um, as I heard what I'm about to tell you, 
and all of the angst drank, drained from my body and oh. I felt totally basked in, in universal love. And if anyone's ever been through it, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's just this moment of absolute peace and, and um, joy, but on a, on a subdued level. And as I felt this, being basked in this love, I heard, you need kindness. It was the it was the most beautiful and odd experience of of my physical life, right? So, and it was head to toe, and I was so excited because it had such an impact on me, right? What was the uh, impact? Did you think that you should stop bashing yourself? Is that what you were thinking, or what was totally, what? totally? Okay. I mm-hmm. realized that self kindness was the key to quitting my addiction, and I realized it's the key to a myriad of other, um, you know emotions or, or mm-hmm. things that we go through in life because when we beat ourselves up we can't change because we get paralyzed we get frozen in shame and all we're doing is like perpetuating the problem so you know I'm a bad person I've lost all my mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. there's no hope you know which is a huge for me as it is for you and it isn't until you realize that what you truly need is self-kindness that you will move forward in the healing steps because that's where the hope comes The hope comes in that self-kindness. So you need time to grieve all you've done. You need time to heal from it. And you need time to reignite that that hope that's inside that you can actually still make a difference. And for me, Carol, one of the big things was realizing separating out the addiction from the person or the soul being. Right? So addiction is something I do. Uh The soul being is who I am. Two totally different things. So in the human form, you know, I've gone into some pretty stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. But in soulful form, I haven't changed. I still love people. I'm still kind to people. Mm-hmm. I still want to be successful. I still want to um, tell the truth all the time. I still have all the core values I always had before I became an addict. And that's what's important for people to remember is, sure, you've beat yourself up, you've done all that, it's it's likely not working for you no matter what you're trying to overcome. So go into the self-kindness and go back to the core. Who are you inside? Who? What are your values? How can you re-employ those values to move you in the direction you want to go into? And for me, that was a huge question. So how did you be ki- become kind to yourself? Well, I ran home right away and told Patricia, who's my longtime um, girlfriend and one of the people that was on my Don't Gamble team, And she said, Joy, being kind to myself was what allowed me to heal from depression. So she is a perfectionist, you know, like most of us have these tendencies, right? So she she wanted to be perfect. So when she would feel depressed and not be able to fight her depression, she would beat herself up and start telling herself she was no good. Okay. So when she realized that it's self-kindness... Then she was able to start taking the steps that would allow her to accept who she was as a a person and that she had this, it's kind of a chemical challenge for her, um, and to do something about it and to move forward in, you know, love, hope, peace, and kindness. So, um, but I didn't totally quit. There was still a couple more times that I went back to the casino, Carol. I was just going to ask you, was it pivotal or did you still go back? It was pivotal in that I got a lot better. But okay. I didn't become perfect in terms of my staying abstaining from gambling. So, but what I did finally was I re-signed out of the casino in 2010, <laughs> and I took what I call my mugshot. 
So I had a friend who also knew I was an addict and had him put my, you know, take a picture of me. I put it on a piece of paper. I wrote, my name is Joy Ross and I'm a gambling addict. Please don't let me gamble. And then I took it and I put it on the tables of all the dealers oh, where I was most likely to gamble. Really? Yeah. And the dealers were like so shocked, right? Because here uh-huh. comes Joy. And, you know, I've always been a friendly person. So they were, you know, they, mm-hmm. I think they like me. I'm going to, you know, project that on them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm coming around with this ugly picture. And it wasn't an attractive picture at all. But anyways, and I'm popping it all <laughs> over the table. And, um, you know, that, w- that would have been enough because then the dealers wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to let me gambling right Mm -hmm. so you know anybody who's got a current problem out there and wants to take um matters into their own hands it's an excellent idea you know on that night when you come home and you're beating yourself up from having lost more money and you know um berating yourself get someone to take a picture put Mm -hmm. it on a piece of paper that Mm -hmm. says i'm a gambling addict run into the casino and put it on all the tables trust me they won't let you back in there's no denying that you've you've con- um, you know confessed to being an addict, so they can't say, "Well, we didn't notice you come in," which is always the okay. the uh, voluntary self exclusion um, excuse, right? Oh, there's a lot of people in the program, so we can't notify everybody. That's and, what I was thinking, right? Yeah, so it's not true. They, I mean. I was in there months later and everybody knew me by name okay. and I'm sure everybody had, was pretty used to seeing me around the casino and, you know, two people signed me out. So I'm sure that they were on shifts and saw me come back. The, one of the problems, I think, Carol, is we have a provincial government who's involved in gambling, which, and I'm not blaming them for sure. I'm not. I mean, they're involved in gambling so they can take responsibility for that much. But you also have private industry and, you know, they're married to each other in these businesses. So I think... Mm-hmm. Private industry is the one running the casinos, actually, with the people, right? Not the government. So, I think the government would like, you know, for addiction not to be a problem and just to mm-hmm. be able to have this fun tax source. But um, they're dealing with private industry, so you know, business wants to make money. Yes. So the government's just yes. got to really dog them, you know, to get them to take responsibility for this. And there was a point too that I decided to. Um, you know, I always get a little bit of flack about this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I decided to sue the government um, for not keeping me out via the voluntary self-exclusion mm. program. So that's how I actually learned a lot about the program and how it gets enforced and doesn't get enforced because as a gambling addict, I did not know. But people sometimes say, well, you were just trying to, you know, win another lottery by suing the government. Gracious me, that was never it. And if you know how um, the system works um, – I'm broke, so I'm going to have a lawyer who's going to take, you know, mm-hmm, a big chunk mm-hmm. of that, right? So I wasn't after the money. But I also knew because of all the shame um, that other people weren't going to go forward. They weren't going to go on the news. And I mm-hmm. still get phone calls from the the press asking me if I have any more um, to contribute to the um, gambling problem in, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, I don't gamble anymore, so it's kind of hard for me to give you new stories. But I always uh, try to get the, the media to stress. Um, my biggest thing for the government, if the government really wants to take to heart um, what's happening to its citizens and the people they affect, um, with all the government needs to do, it's such an easy fix, is if they lower the threshold of when you have to show picture identification to collect your winnings, if they lower that to $1,000, right now it's at $10,000 because of the Money Laundering mm-hmm, Act, mm-hmm. right? But if the if the government lowered that to 1000 in casinos, every addict would quit because you cannot regain your losses with a grand. Mm. 
underground, right? So we're going in there thinking we're going to win a jackpot, right? Like a huge jackpot. So that's one of the carrots that we keep going back for. That's the high we want. If it was $1,000, why would I go back? As soon as I win a jackpot, I'm going to have to give it to them. Oh, my goodness. Right? So, Because yes. um, you would have to turn it over and then it goes into um, a fund where it's held until the government and whoever decides whether or not you're going to get your winnings because mm-hmm. you're voluntary self-excluded. So if they lowered the $1,000 to $1,000, the government, when I suggest this to them, their response is um, – Oh, it's the Privacy Act. People will not want us to be collecting their identification. Well, my counter to that is most people would never win $1,000 in the casino because they're not as stupid as I was with the dollars going in the machine. So they would be thrilled to show you their identification for $1,000. It's not true, right? It's Mm. not really a privacy issue. A lot of the profits in a casino – and I'm forgetting the statistics right now, but it's actually quite high. Like it's like 30% at least, and I've heard higher, of of the money into a casino is coming from that 1% of pathological gamblers and 2% of problem gamblers. Really? So that 3% is um, a big chunk of their profits. So if you imagine a business, whether it be a restaurant or a movie theater, trying to operate at 30% less um, yes. cash coming yes. in. You can understand why yes. no one's as excited about as I am about helping the addicts, right? Mm-hmm. Can you play cards now? Yes. Yes, I can. Can yeah. you gamble? I wouldn't want to. Um, it was a joke around here. You know, if they're playing cards or something and I say, oh, let's play poker, they go, yeah, and they roll their eyes and just look away. They're just mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to gamble with me. But I don't think with any kind of an addiction, Carol, that you can actually go back to it in a safe way. I mean, I'm lucky because of having, you know, sued the government and having taken my picture and putting it on the tables that I'm pretty sure that my picture is still up in the lunchroom and people occasionally throw darts at it. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure there's no way I can ever go back into a casino. But, um, you know, I could, you know, go to a different province and do that, but I don't. Yeah, it's not a feeling that, that you enjoy. And you finally realize that. I don't like feeling sick in my stomach, mm. and I don't like feeling out of, out of control. So when you're in that euphoric high, you're out of control. And when you've lost all your money, you're sick in your stomach. So how could either of those be something I would want to pursue? But that's coming from a calm place where I've been away from it for many years, right? So um, if I were to put myself back in there, too dangerous. Now, do they have programs like Alcoholic Anonymous? Do they have a Gambling Anonymous in in BC? They certainly do. You know, and I I always so love these people who who put such um, tireless effort into helping one another, these recovering whatever it is, substance people. Um, I never went to Gamblers Anonymous. I had been to, um, with a, a couple of friends, I had different occasions gone to AA meetings, so I know what happens at them. And, um... What happened for me with Gamblers Anonymous is a girlfriend went, and what she did was found more people to gamble with. So knowing my personality, if I had gone in there, I would have sought out the renegade like myself, and I would have said, okay, let's get out of here and go gambling. So I didn't think that it would serve me well. I actually thought it would serve me in the reverse, but my fault, not theirs. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what I would I would do because I'm a bit of a rebel. So, but for it helps so so many people. So, like I'm a strong supporter of any of the A um, type groups, mm-hmm. G A N A A A, because that is some place. 
Now, if you remember when I was going to the casino to get the support from my comrades who were also losing, Mm -hmm. when you go to GA or NA or AA, you're getting support from people who are no longer losing, Mm. who are on the path to recovering. Same idea. You're going to get the support you need. And whatever your addiction is, unless you can come up with something extreme like I did, like putting my pictures on the table and, and, and you know, getting the casinos mad at me because they soon this and they won't let me in, um, you're going to need support. You can't do this on your own. I don't care. Um, we can't even, you know, lose 10 pounds without soliciting the help of our family, right? right? right. So this is much bigger than that. So you need somebody in, their, in your, you know, you can do it camp. Now, for some people, that's going to be um, a group at, um, GA. For some people, that's going to be a family doctor. And I want to talk about the family doctor issue in a second. But in other people, it'll be a counselor. It may be your husband, it may be a relative. But if you do pick a safe support person to help you and, you know, keep a watch on your time, keep a watch on your bank account, like do all these things to help you so that you're kind of can't get away with it anymore. Uh-huh. If you're going to ask people to help you that way, make sure it's someone who genuinely loves you and supports you. And as if anybody is to shame you, they're not your right support person. You're mm-hmm. going to need another one. So it's all about you've got to heal. So you've got to be kind to you and the people that are dealing with you have to be kind to you. Or you're not going to be able to take the healing steps because it's a long road back. For me, a lot of the things were, you know, being grateful for the things that were free in life because I'd given away my money. So the sunset, the birds, the still being able to walk on the beach, the mm-hmm. going to bed with you know, not worrying about um, you know whether it was warm enough and fed, all of these things. And I actually developed a, a program of that I call the Grateful Hands Meditation, which actually really saved me. And I don't know, I'm sure other people have used it, but I've never asked them because I do talk about it a lot. But what I would actually do at the end of the night was I would sit on the side of my bed and put my hands together, thank my hands for all they allowed me to do that day. So thank you for letting me pet the dog in the park. Thank thank you for letting me eat. Thank you for letting me brush my teeth. Thank you for letting me pick up the phone and call my friend. Thank you for letting me um, drive my car. And it was just a routine and I would go through what had mm-hmm. happened that day as small. That's so small, right? Like you think that's such a tiny step, but that was so empowering for me mm-hmm. because when I went to bed, I didn't go to bed thinking about my regrets and my losses. Yes, yes. I went to bed being grateful. It was huge. Mm-hmm. It was huge. And I just want to sneak back over to that point I was making about the doctors. And this is, is yes. really important, um, Carol, is that the DM5X um, code that, you know, they determine what um, – Bills can get paid for the governments, et cetera, the, for medical, right? Okay. So they have added gambling, pathological gambling to the list of things doctors can be paid to talk to you about hmm. and help you with. I did not know that, and I have a great doctor. So if I had known that this was something that he could have maybe helped me with, and I'm not saying through medication, but <clears throat> maybe medication, and um, maybe through a more extensive counseling than I was able to get through the VSC program. Mm-hmm. And maybe just by being a friend, maybe just because I looked up to him, mm-hmm. I would be, I would want to report back positive things on the next visit. I would have talked to this man. He's a great man. I didn't have any clue mm-hmm. that he could be one of my support people. No clue. So I w- really, when I talk about gambling, I want people to know you know, a good first place to start is with your doctor. And I know a lot of people don't want to tell their physician what's wrong because they don't want to take medication. Mm-hmm. He can prescribe what he wants or she can prescribe what she wants. It's up to you whether or not you take it. And just because you try something, because there are medications that help you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean you have to continue with it. And But go and ask because there's way more 
benefit from talking to your family doctor than just getting medication. So talk about how you're feeling. Talk about the things that led you to, you know, lead you to want to gamble. Um, get them to set up an appointment once a week. Do a physical and make sure everything's going well. Get back on the hope track. Get back on the hope track. Get the support <laughs> you need. Get back on the hope track. So, yeah, I think that's a really good place to go. Now, let's just summarize this this segment. Give us a step-by-step, if you would, of what you just shared as far as if someone has this problem, what they can or should do step-by-step. First of all is accepting it. Accepting it from a pure heart. I am a gambling addict. No judgment. No regret. This is where I am. I am a gambling addict. The next step is starting to spin the negative steps or negative words and names you've been calling yourself into a positive way. So instead of saying, I'm stupid, say, I'm determined. Instead of saying, I'm a loser, say, I'm a recoverer. Whatever it is you need to do to spin it so you're working from a positive frame. Be kind to you. Get some support. Go to your family doctor. Join GA. Ask a friend to, to, to help you with your bank account and keep an eye on your time. So get the help that you need. And one of the coolest things, gratitude's huge. You've heard me say that. But one of the other coolest things that really helped me, and it's kind of going to lead into the next segment, I'm sure, but was helping other people, Carol. Yes, I can see that. Finding a purpose. Per- helping people with the gambling. Yes, that was a big part of it. But I also found other ways to help um, people. So with the writing, et cetera. And, I, you know, I'm a helpful person anyhow because it brings me joy. So Taking the focus off of you. Take the focus off of you. Find something greater than yourself that has a positive effect on the universe. It's the work you came here to do anyhow. So what you're attracted to, if you want to help animals, help animals. If you want to help the earth, help the earth. If you want to help children, help the children. You want to help women who are better to help them. Men, whoever you want to help. If you're drawn toward them, that's probably part of your life's purpose. So find a way to go do that work and gaming will fade, right? And your self-esteem will come back. Excellent. So tell us about your books now. Well, that was kind of, kind of interesting because um, Patricia, who's my best friend, Patricia Connor, who's in um, my partner in Heart, Mind, Wisdom book series and in the Kindness is Key Inspirational um, Publishing Company. She and I, I wrote it. She kind of was my... Um, my reader and telling me where I was going wrong and right uh, a book called the kindness ambassador and the sugar holic prosecutor. So that's <laughs> the kindness ambassador and the sugar holic prosecutor. So sugar holic's a new word. I made that up because anybody's <laughs> looking it up in the dictionary. But um, I worked on that for a year because you know, I, you write, so you know, mm-hmm. it takes you a couple months to, to write the book and you know, a year to edit it. Right. And, our goal was we were going. We formed the company Kindness is Key because we were both very excited about kindness and started talking to a few groups, but nothing in a big way. But our goal was to go on the international stage with this Kindness is Key message. So we wrote the book and we thought, okay, that'll be our credibility springboard and off we'll go. So we finished the book and froze, <laughs> just literally froze. And um, once you've admitted you're a gambling addict, it's really easy to admit everything else after that, right? So <laughs> I said to her, I said, Patricia, I'm frozen. I said, I don't want to do any of the next steps. And she said, neither do I. Mm. And I said, okay. So then let's just wait. Let's just see why we're frozen. Well, it wasn't three, four days later, maybe a week. I'm outside and I hear the same voice I heard in the casino. 
And what it said was, take other people's stories with you. When you hear those voices and you get those feelings, mm-hmm. you can't ignore them. <laughs> so I ran in the house and I told Patricia because I was living in Patricia's basement as part of my you know, financial uh, recovery plan. And um, I told her. So we're supposed to take other people's stories. Well, we started to tell people that we wanted what we were doing, that we we're going to publish this book. We originally called it by a different name and found out found out that name, you know, was taken by someone else, so moved away and became Heart Mind Wisdom. But um, within a, um, weeks, we had two books full with twenty one <laughs> stories per really? book. People want to tell their story, yeah. And I've since, you know, having had the joy of being the editor and the and the writing teacher with these books, I've since realized what a gift. Everyone's story is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's story. Like, I really admire what you're doing, getting these stories out there, because these are our legacies of love that we're, will, you know, that, that we're willing to, to, to put out there. You, me, all the people that come on your show and write stories to help other people. It's like one of the most pure gifts you can give. It's very rewarding. I mean, it's kind of yes. selfish that way, and then it feels great. But, I mean, it's a very... Um, thing that you can put out there it's a legacy of love and and it's around it's in you know um in eternity forever you know through written and websites and talk shows all these people's stories were so incredible so i just got lifted higher and higher and higher you know i still go and pick up we've got four books now we're just finishing up the fourth book there's actually a couple of positions left in that book if anyone's interested but what i realized looking back not so much when i was actually in the projects but looking back is that each of these books in the heart mind wisdom um collection each story contains incredible insights and ideas and inspiration but more than that they're transferable ideas insights and mm-hmm. inspirations so Like one of my chapters in Heart, Mind, Wisdom number three is taming shame and blame. Not too hard to figure out where I got that from, right? (laughs) Okay, so I talked about that. So I wrote about that. Well, that applies to gambling addiction, which of course that story is about, but it applies to everything else too. Taming shame and blame. Neither of those gets you anywhere, Mm -hmm. ever. Right. So um, transferable skills. Larry uh, wrote about the 95 five principle for losing um, 230 pounds in three years. Right. Mm. Transferable skills that go with any goal. Shirley wrote about losing um, seven uh, loved ones in three years, Mm. including her parents and her husband and her in-laws. Lots of loss. Mm -hmm. And how how do you go on with that kind of loss? Right. So brilliant, brilliant woman and some of the um, unique things she found because she obviously had to do like me delivering the mugshot to the casinos and and to suing the government to Mm -hmm. do something. She had to do big things to overcome that amount of loss, which may sound, you know, silly to some. I'm not going to give away her story because I'm very proud of her, but um, she did some really unusual things to to get through that loss. So, again, (laughs) gives you some ideas about. How do you handle things when when life is, you know goes awry for you, right? So, is this in your last book, the current one, or not um, yet? Um, Shirley's story is in Heart, Mind, Wisdom number one. Larry's is in number one. Um, number three is mine about taming shame and blame. And um, I'll just say that if anybody's interested in picking up one of these books, and I'm going to give you a gift too. Everything that we have in terms of the books is on a store called online store called Heart Mind 
store.com. Um, we also have a free website where there's tons of information if people want to tell their story, lots of free writing courses and stuff. So I'll maybe get you to put that up too, but it's heartmindeffect.com. It's just all free stuff. Any of the books though, I mean, there's so many stories, it's hard to get them all. There's a lady who went bankrupt. There's a lady who, um, you know, wasn't exactly a perfect mom when she was younger and, um, you know, lots of stories, just beautiful books. And one of the things they probably had to overcome was regrets, right? Loss and regret, right? Those are the biggies. Mm-hmm. Loss and regret. Is there anything you want to say in summary? This has been excellent, and I've I've been certainly challenged just thinking about different people and my own issues, you know, that we have, because it doesn't have to be a full scale. We can have things that we do that we would like to stop. It doesn't have to be an, an, an addiction per se, correct? It does not have to be an addiction. So I'm just going to, you know, kind of end on on um, on this end. Something that I tell young people because you know now that I'm I'm uh, you know in the white haired stage. Um, if you never try it, you never have to worry about becoming addicted to it. So if you've never been to a casino and you don't know how much fun that can be, <laughs> don't go. If you've never tried drugs as a young person, don't try them. If you've never tried a cigarette, don't try it. Right. If you never try it, you never can be addicted. And the problem with addiction, and, and one of the things that I think is really important to remember, is when we become addicted, we give away control. Oh. So if you don't want to give away control, don't try it. And if you are in trouble, get your friends, get your help, and doing the good work you're meant to do. Excellent way to summarize. Thank you. And I thank you, Joy. This has been enlightening. It certainly has been encouraging and informative. And you are a great orator. Oh, and, you're a sweetheart. <laughs> you know, very clear. I appreciate that. Very uplifting. I appreciate that. And I know that people are going to want to read your books. That'll all be on your show notes. And they can contact you if they just want the free stuff from your website or if they want your books or if they want to contact you and maybe speak to you privately. I know that you are available. And I thank you for that. Thank you, Carol. And I just want to mention my free gift is also on HeartMind Store. They can download the entire um, Kindness Ambassador and Sugarholic Prosecutor novel, which is an inspirational romance novel. So it's okay. not a lecture novel. It's a okay. good read. It's lots of fun. Crazy characters in it. They can get that for free. So they can download that for free at the HeartMind Store. So All right. The Kindness Ambassador and the Sugarholic Prosecutor. Okay. <laughs> on that note, we will say goodbye. And again, I thank you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you so, so much for letting me come on and tell people about um, my experience through gambling. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.